the really exciting thing about Bradley Reach is that it makes Bradley's world-class pediatric psychiatric care available virtually anywhere in the US. So at the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020, Bradley started delivering this care virtually. And when we analysed the data from the programme, we realised that although the patients entering our programmes during the pandemic had worse problems than previously, the outcomes were at least as good as for in-person care. And we also, I think, quite excitingly saw that there were um, several advantages for families and increased access. Family involvement is a huge part of our programmes, but we know that it's a really big commitment for families to drive their kids to and from programmes every day, and it makes it hard for some families to access care. We also know it's difficult for some parents to take time out of work for family therapy, but being virtual meant parents could even participate from their car in the parking lot at work, and it gave them a lot more flexibility. Uh, so we're now expanding reach regionally and nationally. We're, we've got active and growing partnerships with Boston Children's Hospital and with Connecticut Children's. And we're about to launch a partnership with a large community mental health centre in Florida for a major expansion there. We're also talking to some tribal health centres about working with them to expand care in a way that's culturally appropriate and meets the huge needs and access challenges that they faced. Welcome to the AM Significant Healthcare Voices podcast series, featuring insights on healthcare trends and hot topics direct from industry leaders. Welcome to AM's Significant Healthcare Voices podcast series. I am Martha Haverkamp, a senior director in Alvarez and Marcel's Healthcare Industry Group. And the topic for today's podcast discussion has a profound impact on our societies across the country and, in fact, really across the world. Already before COVID, um, but the problems are importantly exacerbated throughout the pandemic. Today, we are talking about behavioral health problems in children and adolescents. My guests today are tackling these problems in their community head on and have developed some life changing therapeutic programs to support their patient populations. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Dr. Karen Horowitz, the Chief Medical Officer of Bradley Hospital and the Director of Child Outpatient Psychiatry at Lifespan. Also joining us is Ellen Halsworth, Director of Bradley Reach, uh, the program we are going to spend much of our time today uh, about at Bradley Hospital. Not only have I worked with both of you extensively as a consultant at AM, but I also know Ellen from my former life as a Harkness Fellow from the Commonwealth Fund, and I'm so excited that you both are on this podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for including us and inviting us to participate to talk about such an important topic. Thanks, Martha. It's great to be talking to you. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Um, these past two years have made us aware of the need of more focus on mental health. And specifically, the pandemic accelerated a growing crisis in pediatric behavioral health. Karen, can you explain to us what you have seen and the true scope of the problems? Uh, which children were most are most at risk to develop COVID-related mental problems? Um, are these the same kids as uh, as were um, already having problems before? Do you see, for example, that with uh, increasing acceptation of COVID by the society, it's getting better with these children? What do you see? Well, that's a really important question, and you're right. We had a children's mental health crisis that preceded COVID, but was really severely exacerbated by COVID. The kids that were impacted were really all children. Children's lives were incredibly disrupted um, by the 
virus and all of the limitations that were put on their normal development. You know, kids not being able to go to daycare, not being able to go to school, not being able to play with their friends. And if you just look at kids over a developmental continuum, all of the ways that their normal development was disrupted. So it took a big hit, childhood and adolescence and um, even those transition age people really and their parents. So the impacts were many and the types of things that we've seen is really an escalation in the number of kids that are presenting with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts and behaviors, eating disorders, most mental health presentations we're seeing more of now than we were prior to the pandemic. Yeah, and, and so that continues, is if I get the sense of your story, it's not it's not getting better. It's not getting better. You know, I think that there are some things that reopening created some additional challenges. So if you had a child who was anxious, there may have been a way that being able to stay home was sort of cozy for them. And now having to reintegrate after being out of school for an extended period of time can really lead to more anxiety and more difficulty uh, with attending school. Kids missed a lot of academic work, so that can create a lot of stress for kids. Yeah, we're, see we're seeing that these problems continue and sort of new, new problems have entered the scene. Yeah, that makes much sense. Uh, Ellen, can you give us a bit of a broader perspective on this problem uh, throughout other places in the developed world? Because it's not only the U.S.? Sure. I mean, there's obviously increased attention on this in the US right now, but it is definitely an issue globally. And I think the pressures on families that Karen's just spoken about have been not just been felt in the US, they've really been felt almost everywhere in very similar ways. So it's estimated that one in seven children across the world live with mental health problems and most don't receive treatment. In the UK, where I spent a lot of my career, the health system is very different, but the problems around um, children's mental health are very similar. There's been an 81% increase in referrals for mental health services, and at a time when the National Health Service is very stretched, there are um, long wait times for follow-up mental health care, and I think there's been a particular increase in eating disorders, so we're seeing really very similar challenges there and, and pretty much everywhere in the developed world right now. Yeah, and, and and I feel, I mean, for you, you talk about it, you're, you're very passionate, right? So, so you have also a personal fe feeling maybe for this subject. What, what did you decide to come and work at uh, Bradley and uh, yeah, and do something about this? Um, well, I was previously leading a large telehealth pilot in a foundation, but I've been hearing about the challenges in children's mental health coming out of the pandemic. Um, I've got a young child myself and I, I know the pressure this is put on families. And I was keen to work on a really big social issue um, as we come out of the pandemic and to make a difference. And when I spoke to Karen and the rest of the team at Bradley, I was really impressed and excited by the mission and wanted to be a part of it. Thanks. Yeah. Same same thing for us, of course, as consultants working with uh, people at Bradley and uh, what we did and you're you're going to explain uh, undoubtedly much more later on. Uh, but one of the things we did is try to expand uh, your fantastic partial and um, intensive outpatient programs throughout the the larger portion of the US than only uh, around the hospital uh, through telehealth. And one of the things that struck me is that those programs are often not available to many kids and that there's there was a clear breach in continuity of care. 
Um, so, Karen, is that a larger problem in kids' mental health care, the, the lack of continuity? Where else do you see that and, and what's the impact of that omission? Well, I wish it was just an issue of a lack of a continuum of care. You know, I, I think that we actually have problem with just having services available from the level of prevention through the level level of our highest level of need patients. So, you know, there's just a shortage of mental health services and clinicians to treat the amount of mental health illnesses that we see in children. You know, it's important for people to realize that every psychiatric condition starts in childhood. So any condition that you are aware of that an adult may experience, it can start early in life, whether it be anxiety, depression, ADHD, learning struggles, bipolar disorder, etc. So we really need to be able to have early identification, well, let's say prevention, early identification, and then treatment um, for, for all of these children to keep them healthy and keep them living their lives. So, so I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that we certainly do not have many parts of the continuum of care that's required to address the mental health issues of children. Yeah, and, and then not only have the problems that start early in life an effect on later life, but then also on the families of those people later in life, right? So it's all it's all generations carrying over. Thank you, Karen. So, so Ellen, um, I dropped the name of Bradley Reach, and I told maybe a little bit about it, but you are, of course, much better apt to uh, to explain to us what Bradley Reach program exactly is, and uh, help us understand how that increases access to care. Sure, Martha. Well, you're obviously an expert too, because A and M were very involved in setting the program up. But the really exciting thing about Bradley Reach is that it makes Bradley's world-class pediatric psychiatric care available virtually anywhere in the US uh, through telehealth. So Bradley had been running um, partial hospitalisation programs, intensive outpatient programs for adolescents in person for years. And these are programs that run every day for several hours, either during or after school hours. And teenagers attending groups receiving care from a multidisciplinary team, including a psychiatrist, psychologists, social workers, nurses and behavioural health specialists. And they provide intensive care to teenagers who need something more than a weekly outpatient appointment can provide. But they also provide a step down for teenagers who have been receiving inpatient treatment or who might need inpatient treatment, um, but can possibly have something less intensive. So at the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020, Bradley started delivering this care virtually. And when we analysed the data from the programme, we realised that although the patients entering our programmes during the pandemic had worse problems than previously, the outcomes were at least as good as for in-person care. And we also, I think, quite excitingly saw that there were um, several advantages for families and increased access. Family involvement is a huge part of our programmes, but we know that it's a really big commitment for families to drive their kids to and from programmes every day, and it makes it hard for some families to access care. We also know it's difficult for some parents to take time out of work for family therapy, but being virtual meant parents could even participate from their car in the parking lot at work, and it gave them a lot more flexibility. Uh, so we're now expanding reach regionally and nationally. We've got active and growing partnerships with Boston Children's Hospital and with Connecticut Children's. And we're about to launch a partnership with a large community mental health centre in Florida for a major expansion there. 
we're also talking to the tribal health centres about working with them to expand care in a way that's culturally appropriate and meets the huge needs and access challenges that they faced. So we're, we're so excited about how this brings quality evidence-based care to children living in areas where this type of treatment would not normally be available. And we think that if we can increase access in this way, which can play a huge role in addressing the challenges that we all face nationally. Yeah, it's really exciting, uh, Ellen, to hear about how how Bradley developed those partnerships and continue to develop them uh, uh, even after uh, after A&M was no longer involved. So it's great. Talking about that involvement, what I'm really curious about, and maybe that's a, a question from uh, for Karen, when A&M came in to help you as a hospital uh, develop these kind of programs, of course, I myself, I'm a doctor as well as, as background. I'm not a, a business person. I became a business person through A&M. But I'm just wondering how you saw the combination clinics and business thinking and specifically what, what are a few of the things you learned or that you noticed uh, in that uh, collaboration? Well, I think that one of the things that we realized, um, and this is something that we've always known, is that we need to meet children and families where they are. And, you know, I think that we are thinking more and more about this. You know, children are in schools, they're in their pediatric offices. They are, if they're receiving care, they're receiving care often in more community-based settings. And I think initially we thought that our strongest partners were going to be other academic medical centers. And I think what we really realized is that we need to be more boots on the ground in communities, partnering with the people that are already providing mental health treatment to children and families who are looking for this more intense level of care. So, you know, they may be doing individual therapy or family therapy children, um, but they really are trying to prevent the child from requiring an inpatient stay, um, or they have a patient who's inpatient that they're trying to bring them back home and they need more support than can be provided in a weekly therapy session. Um, and that those are really the places that we need to be meeting children and families more in the community. Yeah, so in fact, that that really touches uh, yeah, upon my next question as well, where uh, this, is, this is more than pure clinical therapy. Eh? This is really a touches upon policy thinking and how to how to recreate the healthcare system when it comes to children's behavioral care. So uh, I was wondering if you felt that you really contributed to those policy discussions nationally or regionally? I think that we're starting those discussions nationally, and um, we're hoping that we can become more engaged and more involved. But I do want to emphasize the point that you made that Bradley Reach really has three arms. There is the direct clinical treatment part through the partial and intensive outpatient programs, and also we are offering and extending some of Bradley's experience. We've Bradley Hospital has been in existence for over 90 years, committed solely to children's mental health and supporting children and families um, on their voyage to become healthier. And we would like to be able to support people around the country with sharing some of this expertise. This can include um, consultation. So many communities don't have levels of care and we are happy to share with other communities and other hospitals how to develop some of the programs that we have been able to develop here. In addition, 
there are organizations that are seeing more and more patients with mental health issues that they're not used to seeing. And we can support those organizations with providing care and support and support their staff in being able to do that. It can be challenging if you're, let's say, a pediatric nurse caring for a patient with a severe mental health condition or even caring for a child who's been suicidal. It can feel quite traumatic. And so we do have ways of providing education um, to staff who are now helping to care for more children and teenagers and families that are have mental health conditions. So sticking with that topic of policy initiatives, Ellen, uh, can you tell us some of the challenges that Bradley Reach had scaling the telehealth initiative that Bradley Reach really is? And what are the barriers to scaling such a program? I remember problems with licensing and recruitment. Are there larger policy solutions that need to be put in place to enable programs like REACH to uh, to reach to reach uh, people and children in areas that now do not have sufficient care? Definitely. I'm so glad you mentioned licensure because that's one of the big problems we faced with scaling. As you know, states license clinicians separately generally. Some states are part of um, licensure compacts, but often states in the northeast where we started are not. Although there's quite a lot of movement happening in that. I know Rhode Island is looking at joining um, the Interstate Medical Licensure Compact and the SIPACT compact for psychology and similar things are happening in Connecticut and, and other states where we're working but movement is slow and I know there's also a lot of national um, federal policy energy around this issue too. It's something that Department of Health and Human Services uh, is concerned about. More flexibility in licensure would really help in getting care to kids who need it most in states where there's a shortage of child and adolescent psychiatric providers. So that's huge. And I think the other challenge we face is, is workforce. Um, as Karen said, it's providers are often burnt out right now and it's it's hard to find people. And that's true. Virtually. I think there are big advantages to providers from working virtually. And I think that's the reason people are often very attracted to the, the programme and what we offer. But it's the, the need for, for more providers in the future is huge and it's a challenge. Yeah, so, so because you are a telehealth initiative, people the, the people you recruit do not necessarily need to live in Rhode Island, right? Um, Absolutely. We've um, employed people in Baltimore and New York. We're employing a new a psychologist in Oklahoma. So it's it's very exciting, actually, that we're able to build up a team of Bradley staff right across the US. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is is great with REACH is that it's it's a, it's really a prime example of how or, or a proof of concept of how one hospital can try to take one of its programs and, and try to to contribute to the solution of such a national problem. I was wondering um, what advice would you give other hospitals and your peers who similarly want to want to contribute to uh, to a change in, in, in the uh, adolescent behavioral health space? I would say that collaboration is key. I think we've realised that um, Bradley's got a huge amount to offer in terms of expertise in this area, but we're most successful when we collaborate with our partners and try and meet their needs whether it's community mental health centres or, or large hospitals with, with EDs. Uh, this problem is so big and complex. I don't think any single institution or person has all the answers, but if we collaborate, I really think we can make some progress. 
Yeah, because, because Karen, there is a network uh, that, that Bradley has started right in the region. Yeah, we are working with Connecticut Children's Hospital to create a New England network to try to think together about other solutions around the children's mental health crisis. Thinking outside of the box, including all of the partners that we have, there's so many organizations outside of hospitals, children's psychiatric hospitals, mental health providers who interface with children and are really part of the solution. So that network is trying to pull in all of the experts around children and caring for children um, to think together about how to address the mental health crisis. You know, we, we can't do this, like I said, without teachers, without families, without pediatric primary care and pediatric specialists. You know, this is this is a real big problem and it really needs to have a very inclusive group come together to try to address it. Yes, and, and, and the, the potential of, uh, uh, of Bradley Reach is, of course, enormous. And coming back to the beginning of our discussion, the international um, scope of the problem is also something where Bradley maybe could play a role. You, you could imagine that even you would play in the international arena and, and, and serve children in other English-speaking countries, and then vice versa also learn uh, about how these countries organize that continuum of care, like you say, Karen, with people from schools and, and uh, how you think about the bigger social environment of a, of a child, that it's really child-centric and, and not institution-driven. Well, I'd like to give both of you uh, room for final comments, and then uh, thank you for the amazing discussion and the time, time we spent together. Karen? You know, I think that my final comment is that if you're listening to this and you're a parent who has a child with a mental health condition, I want you to know that you're not alone and that there is treatment available. Um, always a good place to start is with your pediatrician because they know you and your family the best and they can help you to figure out what's normal, what's typical, what might be something that could use more attention. So I just want to be sure that if you have any questions about a child in your life that you um, know that there is help available and that I would recommend starting close to home. Thank you, Karen. Uh, you, Ellen? I just want to say that although this problem is really is a really serious problem, that uh, when we had our first meeting of the New England Pediatric Mental Health Network, um, Dr. Ashish Jha, who's now the, um, New the White House COVID advisor, said that the pandemic's actually created a window of opportunity to do something about um, the children's mental health pandemic, which has been going on for at least a decade. And this is a really exciting time and, and quite a hopeful time, I think, to make, make progress on such an important issue. Yeah, and I think both comments are, are great. And, and the fact that we go in this discussion from such high policy level back to uh, the improvements uh, you see actually in your in your patients and, and addressing parents and patients, uh, even here in this podcast, I think that's uh, uh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for your time uh, and the discussion. For more information, please find us at www.alvarezandmarsal.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>